ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the La Liga podcast for this week's just host of podcasts that we have coming out now on a regular schedule. Rian and I finally figured out our schedule. It only took us a year and some, but we figured out when to actually post episodes properly. So here we are talking La Liga on this week's La Liga podcast, or we're talking really the big three and some other news that happened throughout La Liga um, as it relates to Barcelona, of course, and their vote of no confidence against the board. But we will get into that uh, in a minute. Rian, we talked a little bit about crazy results in England and honestly, throughout parts of Europe uh, this past weekend, but La Liga didn't really have anything crazy. I don't. I don't think there was really anything to entirely write home about, which marks the second week of dramaless entertainment in La Liga. So I'm very <laughs> just steadily concerned for uh, the revenue of La Liga, but um, that, it was still fun to watch. They're all. They're. It's good. They're all. They're all very responsible adults over there in Spain right now. And, and you know, they don't allow each other to get sloppy drunk week to week, as, as we've seen in, in um, another league. It's been weirdly very calm in La Liga the, these first few weeks. And I know the calmness, especially coming from Barcelona, is really... It's, is was almost actually too calm as we as you know we'll see, we'll talk about later. Um, it's all about to get blown up a bit again, and there's the drop. The drama is about to come back, but uh, even for Real Madrid, it's still it's been mostly drama free there too. Other than they have no clue when and Hazard will play for them again. That but. <laughs> We should, we'll, we'll see. We're all, I think we're, all, we're also going to talk about that. So, Yeah, yeah. I don't know if Real Madrid even know if he's going to play this season. But, I mean, I'm being sarcastic, of course. But let's let's start off with the biggest game of the weekend and, and really one of the biggest games of the season, honestly, um, in Barcelona and Sevilla playing in Barcelona's second um, match of the season um, or, excuse me, the third match of the season and Sevilla, I believe, playing their fourth. And so... This game started off, I guess the, the first 15 minutes of this game were kind of the craziest part of the weekend, or as crazy as you can get. And so, yeah, it, it was it was an entertaining match, but it got steadily more boring. That's how I would put it in a nutshell. Like, over time in the second half, it kind of just droned on a little bit. But the first 15 minutes of this game just saw Sevilla come out like crazy like they came out out of the gates ready to win they they basically looked like off the back of a uefa super cup narrow loss to byron they looked like a they should have and could have beaten byron in that game and b they just continued that performance into this barcelona game and the first you know 10 minutes of this game we saw Sevilla score um, by a brilliant just roofed shot by luke de Jong. again the greatest player of all time Ballon d'Or runner up. Actually, he should have been runner up to Lewandowski this season, this year. Of course, of course, he would have went. Uh, well, Messi, in Luke De Jong, and Lewandowski. Of course, oh. in that order. In that order. <laughs> gosh, gosh, jeez, jeez, <laughs> just relax. <laughs> I, of course, will not stop pushing this narrative. But back to the the status quo. So Sevilla come out of the gate. Luke De Jong looks fantastic, and also Sevilla's wing play looked fantastic. Lucas Acampos. First off, Lucas Ocampos is a wonderful player for Sevilla. He showed it last season, both in the Europa League and La Liga. 
And also will now be showing it for Argentina as he uh, is expected to play this week in their, uh, their, uh, excuse me, their qualifiers for the Copa America. And so, yeah, it, or excuse me, the World Cup, I don't know, qualifiers for Argentina. I, I'm forgetting things. Um, but back to Sevilla. Sevilla showed in the first 10 minutes of this game why they're Europa League champions. And it really, really showed on the pitch. The nice part, I think, about, I, I guess, switching to the Barcelona side is that we saw a team actually react to Sevilla. And this is the first time that Sevilla, I kid you not, have picked up points at Camp Nou in, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I do believe it's since 2011 or 12 or like 2002. It's one or the other. So basically eight plus years. Um, and so it was nice to actually see Barcelona respond. And within the first couple of minutes after the Sevilla goal, Barcelona scored and got on the on the score sheet pretty instantly. And it was Coutinho's a, you know, smart thinking and B, a wonderful pass for Messi to get over Sevilla's back line and in behind to actually gift the ball to Coutinho, who often deflection from one of Sevilla's defenders um, was basically setting up Coutinho for a tap in. So leaving it at 1-1 after basically 15 minutes um, was a pretty impressive start to this game. But Rian, what did, what did you make of the uh, the rest of this game and what did you make of both team performances? Did Anything stand out to you? Uh, well, I, I didn't get to watch this game because I was too busy watching. I, I think um, I think this was as Manchester United started or Liverpool started to. It was. It was in the. Board. It was like the over. So I, so now so I didn't get to watch this game, but I think the most interesting thing I wanted to hear from you about this was this is the first big uh, big matchup between two top four content top four. Uh, I think favorites, right in Spain. And as much as I'm sure you probably saw some very, very uh, good things from Barcelona there, what, what impressed you most about Sevilla in this? Because even with the shitstorm that is going on at Barcelona, you know, Sevilla, Sevilla still does not have quite the same talented squad. But we've seen a real transformation in them over the last year and a half as um as the new manager came in and it was it's been good so far it's been good for the first 12 months like getting getting the Europa League and like you said they looked really good against Bayern in the UEFA Super Cup so what impressed you the most about Sevilla in this game so it was really two things um and and also kind of like two players um Kunde and Jesus Navas um I could talk about Ocampos and Sevilla's attacking threat and how well they're, they're starting to really gel together um, kind of a year on after being put together. But I want to highlight two players in Kunde and Jesus Navas. So I'll start with Kunde. Kunde was immense at the back. He is so quick on the ball. He is His ball-carrying ability is world-class. And he also has the intelligence and, and spatial awareness of like a defensive midfielder. It's, it's really impressive. And he did a lot to get in the way of a lot of Barcelona interceptions. I don't know what the stats are specifically, but you could tell that he was in the middle of every broken up play that Sevilla had. And so for, for me, I thought he was one of the most, or excuse me, impressive players on the pitch. Now I think 
teams like Manchester City, for example, recognize that and actually did want to go for him this past summer. But I don't think they were actually going to pay his his release clause. Um, I think he was. The, I think he was the option before Ruben Diaz as well. I think it was. Went, like, I think I think Ruben Diaz ended up being the third or third option. I think for Manchester City. Yeah, I went Koulibaly. Behind Koulibaly. Yeah, yeah. Koulibaly, Kunde, and um, or Ruben Navas. Uh, so, yeah, it, it that was a really impressive performance for me. I'm looking for a lot from him this season, especially after really putting himself on the map last season. So that was number one. Number two, I learned that whatever, you know, specimen of lungs God gave to Jesus Navas should be gifted to every lung cancer patient in the world because i can't believe he's still kicking on it's 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 insane it's actually insane how much he he runs just as much as like prime danny alves to me like his ability to get up and down the pitch it's like he's not actually what 34 35 at this point like he's playing like he's 26 it's really really impressive um, and he showed that with his attacking threat. There were there were a couple of times when he was up against Jordi Alba, and basically in a foot race, I, I kind of knew he was going to win. And lo and behold, Alba also went out with a hamstring injury. So just goes to show you how much Jesus Navas really pushes your back line and your your width. So two players that stood out to me from Sevilla that I mean continually just impress. Yeah, and at least from what you've been saying, I, this team has such a, like a, a great balance for me in terms of you have the this veteran leadership of Jesus Navas, who when he left Manchester City, I mean, I think most Premier League fans thought he was completely washed, and we've seen him go back to Spain and, like I said, push on and to be a decisive player for one of the most successful teams in Spain over the last five, six years and win a Europa league title. And you throw in the Diego Carlos, very solid center back at the back for Sevilla and the, the return of Ivan Rakitic. This seems really kind of weird, but has a nice balance of, Guys like Lucas Acampas and Luke de Jong, who somehow share the field and share the same locker room with egos that big. I don't know how you can fit Luke de Jong into any locker room, but, <laughs> but no, it's, it's it's a really good blend, I think. And again, like we talked about in the Premier League episode this week, teams that I think are more or less the same as they were last season, especially Sevilla sense and a team that was very successful too. Um, granted under a new manager within the last like year and a half, but still this team is very, very confident in their identity. And I think that's going to keep them sitting around, you know, third, third and second for most of the season. Yeah. That's the other thing too you have to look at Sevilla's management of their squad in the last two years. And okay. The way that Julian Lopetegui handled the Spain and Real Madrid coaching job obviously did not go over well with anyone. And I think that can be understood, but his redemption arc, man is amazing. Like for him to come back to the area that 
he, you know, basically was raised and grew up in in Seville. And for him to win, you know, his real first major trophy of his coaching career at Sevilla um, and it's the Europa League, like that's that's an amazing feat. And I don't think that, you know, his influence should be underrated in any way because he struggled at the beginning with the Sevilla side and has gotten them kicking on all cylinders, which has just honestly been fantastic to watch. And of course, I think some of our listeners will know the significance of Munchie. Um, that is M-O-N-C-H-I, yes, Munchie. Um, a former Sevilla player and also a god of the game when it comes to um, picking out players and building squads as a director of football for Sevilla. He he just has an eye for it. Like the things I would do to have him come to Barcelona under a different board are just completely not safe for work. But yeah, it's it, he's in a, just combining those two two people in management are really, really important for the Sevilla side. So look for that to seriously have them push for the title um, th- this season. I think that's kind of clear. All right. Well, that, then shall we move on to the, the part of the pod where I'll just get kind of angry, just slightly <laughs> angry here? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. This is um, my favorite part. Are you kidding? I've been, I've been looking forward <laughs> to this moment after, after this game. And of course, Rihanna's talking about the Atletico Villarreal game, which ended, and I quote, 0-0. Zero, zero. A shocking, shocking tie, um, uh, or maybe maybe not that shocking. But Rian can't, I, can't believe a, a Miami <laughs> game would end it like this. <laughs> I was surprised. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, well after after the first game ended six one against Granada, I think Atleti fans and other European fans expected something different from Atletico. But given their last two games have ended in nil nil draws, um, maybe not. So Rian. You, Rian, uh, just for anyone listening to the pod right now, Rian put in our notes, and I'm seriously quoting, Rian loses his mind as Atleti drop points again. So, Rian, explain. Now, I will have to preface this, that this was on Saturday, and I believe it was this game was happening at the same time, or maybe started just after the Leeds and Manchester City game. So I was only able to hop into this, Atleti and Villarreal game for the last 20 to 25 minutes, a game which when I tuned in still had Jao Felix on the pitch. And my thought was like, okay, well, this would be great to see how they kind of push here and, and what he does with Jao Felix in this situation. Right. And not even just Jao Felix, but what is the plan B for Atleti? That, that was the big thing. I was like, okay, if things have changed, He's going to go to something very different here and actually push on to win this game. And I was sorely, sorely mistaken because just as I join um, the feed to watch this game, I think five minutes later, makes a few substitutions, takes off Suarez, brings on Diego Costa, which I is like for like, yes, in position wise, but if you've seen either of these two players play in the last year, year and a half, Elise, of course, would tell you that Luis Suarez is just fat and, and can't move, which wouldn't be necessarily false, but he's still right now a better finisher than Diego Costa and more useful than Diego Costa, but whatever. Uh, Diego Costa is Simeone's son, basically. I was somewhat, somewhat 
encouraged when he brought on Carrasco instead of Koke because Carrasco is a, m- a more attacking player than in Koke. But immediately everything was balanced as Angel Correa came off for Marco Sirente, who I think I said what I needed to say about him already earlier this week. Uh, <laughs> you really and, did. Wow. <laughs> and, and not five minutes later, Jao Felix is taken off with 15 minutes left in a game that Atleti Madrid should win. I mean, we wouldn't call Villarreal pushovers, but a game in which Atleti is a much more talented team. And if they are legitimate about wanting to make a real title push, a game that Jao Felix should probably finish and you should be trying really really hard to go and win this game and he takes him off for Hector Herrera who's a midfielder who's not an attacking midfielder as you might guess Elias I almost got tricked last week because they scored a bunch of they scored looking back a lot of very easy goals to score none of the goals were necessarily like beautiful team play or what or whatnot Elias, you got to explain to me why I should not be starting my own petition of no confidence for Diego Simeone. I'll go to Madrid right now. I'll go to that bloody part of Madrid and start crowdsourcing money for Pochettino. And we can just go to him ourselves, okay? If if you could do that, that would be wildly impressive. Um, Good luck trying to convince the conservative, I guess, supporters of Atletico Madrid that Simeone needs to go. Uh, that would be my first thing. But to your point, this this entire game, I think, was on Simeone. Like, I think his subs told a very, very telling story. The only, And you highlighted them. The only, the only thing I would add to that, honestly, is that the one positive that I think Atletico can take away from this game, other than just picking up a point, I guess, it's really two drop points, but is that it felt like Zhao Felix was leading the line. Like it felt like when you watch this game that Zhao Felix was actually the one almost directing traffic from an attacking you know play. And w- w- that's exactly what Atletico need. I, I will say they-, they need him to become the focal point of this team. Luis Suarez is there to contribute goals in the short term, but Zhao Felix is there really as a number 10. And to, to feed Suarez, to feed, you know, Basically, Trippier and Lodi on the wings, you need, uh, you know, a versatile, dynamic player like Jao Felix. And it felt like he took over this game at times. It it really did. In some ways, maybe we're having a completely different conversation if, you know, one errant pass is a little better. But at the same time, Simeone's subs did not help the team get to that ultimate goal of actually scoring a goal against Villarreal. And so bringing off Jao Felix for Hector Herrera is just not not what I think a lot of fans and Atleti fans would expect after the last you know couple weeks of, in which they had a 6-1 victory uh, in the first game of the season for them. So the expectations are different, but a part of me is just not surprised by this at all. Like, it's, how, how can you be surprised that Simeone went very, very conservative and modest in his approach just to, to kill the game off at the end. That It's peak Simeone, and 
with the players that Atleti have invested in the last two years, I there there does I said this in our La Liga season preview. There does need to have to be an honest conversation around whether Simeone is the right man for this job by the end of this season. It's just baffling to me to be so consistently willing to take off and as we saw in the Champions League complete almost completely leave out in the starting 11 your best attacking player it doesn't not just your best attacking player but the guy who actually creates chances for everyone else really the only guy that can create a chance for himself in a lot of situations i, I mean from time to time carrasco can but i think consistently there's no one in that team that can really stack up to the dribbling ability and the vision that Jean Felix has and the way that the team just looks so much different with him on the pitch and off. So it's, uh, it's so early and, and it's not panic time really, but uh, it's for anyone who's a fan of Jean Felix, it's just really frustrating to watch. Yeah, that's exactly, you know, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say it's not panic stage yet, but it's just frustrating to watch this team really shoot themselves in the foot every time that they play. Um, and it's not ultimately Jean-Felix's fault, but it, it's it's who he's surrounded by and, and Simeone as well, I have to say. I, it, it's just a shame. But Atleti, I think, will – I have to knock on wood – that they'll they'll get better and actually put goals in because that's what Suarez was basically signed to do. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I just I can't say that it's guaranteed. So with that, why don't we move over to another Madrid-based team, Rian? Talking about, of course, Hetaf. No, um, I'm of course talking about Real Madrid against Levante. Real Madrid winning two nil this weekend and staying at the top of the table, but. Another just pre-game or one day before the game injury to Eden Hazard kind of overshadowed the results in some ways. And we learned that Eden Hazard will be out for another three to four weeks, unfortunately due to, I believe, a hamstring injury. Rian, before we get to the game, I, I don't know what to make of Eden Hazard right now. We know that he's had problems with his weight. We know that he's had problems with his fitness, just all jokes aside for a second, but like, where, what what do you do if you're Real Madrid and you're staring at Hazard in the face after a year and some? I, I don't know if I have an answer to that. Yeah, I don't know. I think it it might be as simple as all of these summers that he was coming into training a little overweight, probably definitely did that at Chelsea. I mean, let's, let's not act like he definitely didn't do that at Chelsea. Maybe the right. only, maybe <laughs> the only time he didn't was when Antonio Conte was there and that's a bit scarier to come in uh, overweight when that's your manager. But, um, but no, it's, it's most likely that, you know, he's not getting any younger, obviously. And the more consistently you do this and the older you're getting, and he's obviously not necessarily taking care of his body better right now than he did uh, probably four or five years ago, this kind of being out of shape as much as he has been the last two years, it's definitely not beneficial for 
stopping this flow of injuries of consistent injuries that he's had in the last year. So it's really disappointing to see from a, a, a player who really reached his peak during his last couple um, last, I think two or three seasons at, at Chelsea and especially the final season, which was, which was uh, his best season statistically for Chelsea. It's really tough to see this kind of, slow degradation of like a player that when he left, I was like, wow, that's one of the, that's one of the three, four best players in the world. And, um, and now we have no idea where that player is. This is the tough thing. And it's not that it's not there. It's just that we haven't been able to see it. Like it just like, we haven't seen it on the pitch. I mean, okay. We saw in the champions league in the, after the restart, but uh, not, not like the old Chelsea version of him, not that version that we'd expect. So it's just a shame from Real Madrid's perspective, honestly, just being as objective as I can to see your marquee signing, your Galactico signing become basically a broken toy on the bench. Like I I think Eden Hazard is an unbelievably incredible player and I kind of want to see him do well in La Liga, but it's never fun to see a player suffer through injuries like this. Um, You can only hope that it honestly gets better. Because I think if you have a front line of what I think would be Benzema, Hazard, and Vinicius, then I think you could put up a fight in La Liga, like, of course, Real Madrid did last year, um, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it is a shame. But I guess Real Madrid can take solace in that they're at the top of the table and are, are clear a little bit after a couple of games, um, or I guess three three games uh, after the restart and so Real Madrid like I said played Levante played I would say okay um, they did not play well once again like this the staple of I think Zidane and his coaching style now is just play well enough to get by like that's been basically how this team has operated on for the last year and it clearly worked for them because they won La Liga last season in a very consistent fashion after La Liga came back but it's still worrying to me that they're not playing well. Like they look, they just yeah. look like an aging core, which they are. Um, and the players that have been brought in, granted, they have brought in players to replace that aging core, have not stepped up into the flesh or into the threshold of those players that are on their way out. Like your your Luka Modric's, for example, and. I don't know when that's going to happen. Like those players will eventually have to step up or they're going to have to be shipped out. And I I just don't think Real Madrid can sustain that throughout the season. Yeah. You hit on a couple things there. Starting with the fact that it really does feel like they never have to hit like fifth gear to win. It it never feels like I'm not even going to say they don't feel like they have to, because like they, have this they've shown us this level so much it's it's like it never feels like they're actually playing that well right um they, they created a lot of chances in this or enough chances i guess again enough chances in this and they were they were very good defensively i don't they really were able to hold levante for the most part and i mean i'm not gonna fall for the Venetius stuff yet okay he he got his goal this time, and he always looks so nice <laughs> whenever he scores. He always looks so nice on the ball and stuff. But the end product, I hope that he's that we're we're making some progress on that because 
he's fairly wasteful uh, much of the time. But uh, very, very, uh, yeah, much. and he he acknowledges it. He's acknowledged in press conferences. Yeah, and so I hope we're seeing him turn a corner. But I, I'm only time will tell, really. But on the point of the kind of age profile, or, and um, like you said, kind of successors to the core of Real Madrid. You're right. It's it's a team that feels maybe. We're a little early on it right now, and, and maybe it's something that will become more and more apparent as the season goes on, but a team that is kind of stuck in this in-between in terms of the aging stars and a lot of under 23, 24, and, un- and under players who are not quite at their peak and haven't quite hit their peak as quickly as we thought they would see Isco as one of the big examples of that, a player that I think two to three years ago, really three years ago during that amazing run in the champions league that, that uh, Real Madrid had, he looked like a player who was going to become, you know, Spain's number 10, like hands down (laughs) over the next decade. Right. And, and he hasn't quite hit those heights. And, and then with that, a lot of the players, who are now stepping into these roles and trying to fill the, these roles of, of that aging core are also in the age profile of 20 and under, and you're not going to get total consistency from them. As, and it's just feels like this team is missing someone in that 25 to 28 range, which Hazard was going to be one of those, one of those uh, players in that profile, but they're missing more of those players who establish and are really peaking in their career. Because um, no matter what, you might you say that, that they didn't get Eden Hazard as he's speaking. It's like just his peak. And, and now we're seeing that maybe past it as well. But they're not getting the player that is just about to reach their peak. And, and that's not something that Real Madrid are known for necessarily. But that's kind of what they're missing in this team is just a jolt of, of that kind of energy. And, and I suppose they're hoping that, that that's what they'll maybe be getting on an earlier scale from Odegaard and maybe the and Hopefully Isco does get back to those levels that I think we expected him to be at by this point in his career. But it, it's a, it's a really curious team in terms of the age profile. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I, I don't really know what the next two years for Real Madrid will hold. That's kind of been the eternal question. What does this team look like when the agent core goes? Are they, you know, young players stepping into the mold or do they kind of fall flat? And this is, I think, a test of what that future might look like. For my sake, I hope it falls flat. Of course, I would never wish anything but that. But for Real Madrid, I think they're hoping that those investments that they made in Vinicius, right, in not too much of an investment in Odegaard, but still, you know, an investment of some sort. And, and you could talk about even the players that have left in Regulon and Oyathaba, like all these players that they brought in to be part of kind of this new phase of Real Madrid, they need to now step into that. This game against Levante was a perfect, uh, I think, encapsulation of what could be, I guess, the negative side of it. What could it be? Um, 
Whereas I think you saw games after the restart um, last season be kind of encapsulating what the positive could be in the sense that you still get by and you play well. Uh, there are, I think, one or two games I can think of for Real Madrid that did that. So definitely something that I'm watching for Real Madrid to do. But I don't know. Again, it, it's like Atleti where I don't know how much confidence I have in in either of these teams yet. Whereas I, I genuinely am a little bit more confident in this Barcelona side in their consistency, in their ability to press, their coordinated you know, pressing efforts. So, something about this team excites me, about this Barcelona team. But anyway, moving away from Real Madrid, Rian, one last point that I did want to make about Barcelona. Of course, non-footballing for, uh, for those that have not been following the news related to the Barcelona board. That is the most exciting part of Barcelona <laughs> over the <laughs> last three months. That's been the most exciting part because the players uh, up until maybe these last couple of weeks have not excited at all over the last <laughs> like, year. So the yeah. board has been, been the best part. A hundred percent. Yeah. This is the most exciting news to come out of Barcelona based in the last several months um, outside of Messi staying maybe. But yeah, this morning, uh, some of you may have known that the Barcelona board had a, a vote of no confidence submitted against them. Um, and so the way that this works and kind of the Barcelona statutes, if you will, is that Barcelona is owned by Socies and those Socies have different shares of Barcelona and there are about a hundred thousand of them globally. And so in order to push um, or submit a vote of no confidence, you need, um, I believe it's a certain percentage of Socies to agree to, uh, to call for a vote of no confidence. That number is about 60, a little over 16,000 members of the club uh, to in person go and vote yes to, to push for a vote of no confidence and the team putting this together, uh, it's a third-party team, uh, submitted over 16,000, almost 20,000 uh, votes of no confidence or approvals to vote on a vote of no confidence for this Barcelona board this morning. They submitted it to the club, and now, by law, the Barcelona board will have to stand for a vote of no confidence within the next three weeks. So that's what's happening at Barcelona, which is super exciting because – Hard part is actually getting those votes of the 16,000 to say, okay, we would like to push for a vote of no confidence or force the board to put up a vote of no confidence. Now, all, all that stands between this Barcelona board being ousted and them not being ousted is 10% or sorry, 66% of all the votes for the vote of no confidence need to be votes of no confidence. So let's say 10,000 people vote. It doesn't matter how many number of people vote now. Let's say 10,000 people vote. Only 6,600 of those uh, votes need to say, I do not have any confidence in this board anymore. And if there are, the board is gone. The entire board is gone. And we are basically a month and a half, two months away, possibly, from Bartomeu no longer being Barcelona president. So fingers crossed. Um, I don't know what will happen. Of course, this board has a funny way of, you know, pushing propaganda through the news, through journalism, newspapers, etc. But this is the closest they have ever been for being ousted. So, woo! <laughs> and and to be clear, that now that that the approval to hold a vote of confidence has gotten through, it'll be the Socies. No matter how no matter how many of them vote, it'll be the Socies who own shares 
in Barcelona that will have this uh, vote for no vote of no confidence um, kind of referendum. Wow, this is um, this could this this is just getting better. Wow, I mean, just when you thought that this that they were gonna let this kind of just drone out into twenty twenty one and whatnot, no. How, yeah. how could they? <laughs> you're right. You're right. Barcelona board. That's basically. Oh the Wow. So, at least what happens a year or sorry, a month and a half from now, perhaps two months, like you said, if a vote of no confidence passes and the board leaves, what is the repercussions of that? So the repercussions are kind of twofold. So one, the entire Barcelona board is let go. Um, but the, the caveat to that is, remember, the club is 800 million euros in debt. So not great. Um, the caveat to them being ousted is that they are no longer legally liable on a personal level for that debt um, as a result of the, the outing or the vote of no confidence being passed. So that's one fold. The second thing in the kind of the aftermath of that Current board leaves and new elections are held by the club um, whenever that's you know determined. There's no set date. But in that interim period, a basically interim board is stood up. Um, I don't know how that selection process works, honestly. I, I don't even know if we've seen this happen before. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be a very confusing time in about a month and a half, two months, if this Barcelona board is out. And even if they are not... I don't know how they just don't quit at this point. Well, actually, I do. We discussed it. It's because they're legally liable for all this debt. So, <laughs> yeah, that's it. But very, very interesting times. There's there's never a dull moment for, for Barcelona. If you're like a Barcelona insider, never a dull moment. You'll always have a job. <laughs> wow. Well, great. Seems like things will be getting even more spicy and even more me- and even more extremely messy. Like, wow. Nice. Thanks. Nice pod. Nice. No, I'm not. Well, I'm sure it'll have something to say in the next six to eight weeks. Um, no, this is great, and I guess we shall see. At least remind me who is the kind of leading front runner if Bartomeu were to be ousted. So I think on social media and in the papers, Victor Font is probably the one candidate that has been most vocal about you know getting rid of this board and and his intentions with the club he is of course very well known for saying publicly that he wants to bring in Xavi um after this board is ousted regardless of how Ronald Koeman does so take that out with for what you will um so he's the leading candidate there are there is another candidate I should say that is kind of buddy-buddy with Bartomeu on the board right now and would basically be a direct replacement for Bartomeu um, he is someone who I think would probably be favorable amongst the more conservative uh, club members and owners, but I don't know how far he will go. So we will see how that goes. Victor Fon is probably the leading candidate, but again, it's always entertaining. Oh, and remind me, is he uh, pro or anti-mask? Sorry, uh, I thought, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to draw a correlation because I would hope. Pro. No, 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 no. I'm. I'm just wondering if everywhere else is going to be politicizing this stuff in, in just about every possible uh, election. I'm, I'm expecting even <laughs> middle school elections, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Class president. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Crazy but, times, anyway. though. 
Yeah. With that, I think that does wrap up the La Liga podcast. Thank you guys, as always, for listening this week. We'll be back next week with some more international break content. Thanks, guys. Thank you.